nation divided, America officially nominates presidential candidates as protests erupt in Wisconsin and a person is shot dead overnight during Portland protests. As the COVID-19 pandemic rages, is the already deep political divide growing? Senate Homeland Security Chairman Ron Johnson, Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass, and FEMA Administrator Peter Gaynor join me to discuss. And election threat. The president's intelligence director says he will no longer brief Congress in person on election security. As Americans prepare to cast their ballots, will their votes be secure? House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff responds. Plus, team effort. Again, America's sports players take a stand, canceling games in protest of police violence. It's exhausting being black, uh, especially when you're a celebrity. Why is this moment different? WNBA star and president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association, Neka Ogumike, will be here ahead. Hello, I'm Dana Bashin for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is bitterly divided with both conventions behind us. It is more clear than ever that this is an election year like no other in the middle of a pandemic that is still not under control. And as the nation comes to a reckoning with racial injustice, protests recharged by the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. And we have breaking news. Just overnight, another person was killed near a protest, this time in Portland, Oregon, where demonstrators clashed with pro-Trump ralliers. According to The New York Times, the man who was killed was wearing a hat with Patriot Prayer insignia, a far-right group based in Portland. This death comes after two people were killed during a protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where a 17-year-old Trump supporter has been charged with those murders. And with less than 10 weeks until November, we have breaking news about the security of the election. Jake Tapper learned that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence will no longer brief Congress in person on election security, a move that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff called, quote, a betrayal of the public's right to know how foreign powers are trying to subvert our democracy. Joining me now is the chair of the Homeland Security Committee in the Senate, Republican Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Mr. Chairman, thank you so much. First, I want to talk about what happened in Portland. We saw someone get killed overnight amid clashes there, and the president has been tweeting and retweeting before dawn this morning. He called for the mayor of Portland to resign and be arrested. He painted protesters as thugs and cities in chaos. You are the chairman, as I mentioned, of the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Are you comfortable with the president appearing to inflame tensions instead of what we normally see from presidents, which is trying to calm them down? Well, good morning, Dan. Uh, listen, I, I've been urging calm across the board, particularly in light of what happened here in Kenosha. But as I said in the opening uh, statement when we had uh, Acting Secretary Wolf before my committee, when, when, when you encourage disdain for the police, you encourage criminals. When you do little or nothing to stop rioting, uh, you encourage anarchy. So when you're encouraging criminals and anarchy, you know, people's lives are lost. You, you have more, more and more destruction, more and more violence. So what we need to do is we need to get control of the situation. And until we, until we do, we're going to have more violence. And we're going to have, uh, unfortunately, uh, potentially more loss of life. So we need to get control well, of the situation. We need to encourage calm. And here's something else we need to do. We need to figure out what we do all agree on. And we share the same goal. We all so want a safe prosperous and secure America in, in states and communities. So Let's concentrate on okay, those areas so, of agreement. So that's, saying, how we, that's how we achieve the unity everybody says they want. So you're saying that everybody should be calm, which you know, sounds, uh, sounds logical, but look at what we are seeing this morning. Just one of the things that we're seeing on the president's Twitter feed this morning, he really appears to be agitating and actively encouraging his supporters to go into Portland, which is resulting in some of this violence. Um, is that well, well, what you Dana, want to there, be there seeing from the there president, are people, sir? There are people agitating all over the place. Yeah, but he's and what the we president need to do is get control of the situation. Kenosha, Kenosha can be a model. What happened in Kenosha is Congressman Style got into the city really quick, found out that law enforcement were looking for help. He called up the president. The president responded immediately and said, what can I do to help? 
and he offered to so, you know, bring in some out-of-state national so guardsmen. So given everything that and, you and, are and, saying. Unfortunately, unfortunately, our governor turned it down one night. Two people died in okay. the intervening so time. Given then what we you were saying, it. would you prefer agitating uh, comments and agitating uh, ideas well, that, that's, on that, that's how you that's 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 how you're typifying it. What we need to do is we need There's to no encourage other way to see it. it's an very end to the from violence and the rioting. And, and the, 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 way, the way, the way you, Dan, let me finish. The way, you do, the way you stop the violence, the way you stop the rioting, is you surge manpower and resources, citizen soldiers, National Guard, and you overwhelm the numbers of rioters so that they can't riot, so that you can protect people's First Amendment, constitutional right to peacefully protest, and they don't turn to riots. But I also have to point out, at some point in time, Peaceful protests that don't even result in rioting at some point in time become a siege. I was in Kenosha yesterday. Well, the downtown is boarded up. Those 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 businesses are 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 shuttered. They can't operate. Other citizens now can't earn a living okay, because well, their businesses the problem, are shut down. Part of the problem so, there so is we that also it have, has we also erupted. have to stop that siege on our cities. Okay, that's fair. Pardon? That's that's fair. On it's very, it's very on, fair. On it needs to be said let me, more let me, often. Let me ask you the question that I was going to ask you, sir. We saw two people killed by a Trump supporter in your home state of Wisconsin, in Kenosha, last week. And these deaths do appear to be the result of clashes between the right and the left. So doesn't the president have a responsibility to call out violence regardless of who is committing it? Yeah, and, and the governor has responsibility to accept I'm the surge in manpower the so that people, so, so, that, so that citizens, so that citizens don't believe they've got to protect their own I'm property about the president. and take we can talk about matters the in their own next. hands. Because the that, that's really, yes that's really no. what happened. No, what the, what, the, what, the, what, the, what the president did was he offered to surge manpower resources so the violence could end. The governor did not accept that that day. That night, tragically, two people lost their lives because citizens took matters in their own hand. I, I'm not for vigilantism. I'm not sure that's what was happening. People felt because the governor and, and local, local officials were looking for help. The governor did not accept the help. And so there was not the resolve to end the rioting. And so people took matters in their own, own hands. And that's what ended up happening. Which, people die. You have you, to get control of the situation. Can, and the way you do it is, is what happened in Milwaukee, in, in Kenosha, where local officials said, please, we want help. We want manpower. The president offered. The governor finally accepted it. And now at least the streets are not violent. Violent. We still have the protests. The businesses are still shuttered. Those individuals' constitutional rights are being violated because they can't operate Senator, their business and, and enjoy a living. Senator, that's so, so again, you have to look at the entire situation. The 17-year-old accused of committing those two murders was a Trump supporter. It's a tragedy. Do you, do you condemn that? It's a tragedy. Do you condemn it? It's a tragedy. It's a, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy, the, the but entire do you situation's it? a tragedy. Listen, I, I don't want to see any loss of life. It's a tragedy. And the way you prevent these tragedies is you support law but a tragedy enforcement. could be a You car calm accident. the situation. A, you, you, allow, you allow for peaceful protest, but you don't, but you don't allow peaceful. You don't, you, you don't you allow peaceful. This. You don't allow peaceful protest to turn siege into siege. Listen, I, I don't want to see anybody lose their life. I don't want to see the violence continue. I don't want to see businesses burn down. I don't want to see economic destruction. I condemn it all. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I want to move on to uh, something that the president said when he was just a candidate back in 2016. Uh, he was speaking at the convention then, and he promised to end crime and violence in the United States if he became president. Take a listen. Beginning on January 20th of 2017, safety will be restored. The most basic duty of government is to defend the lives of its own citizens. Any government that fails to do so is a government unworthy to lead. So what we are talking about right now is happening under President Trump's watch, the violence in American cities, not to mention 180,000 dead from coronavirus. Is his government, in the president's own words, living up to his own promises. Is he worthy to lead? Well, well, first of all, where the violence is occurring is primarily in big cities that have been governed by Democratic mayors and gov Democratic governors for decades. Okay, I know that's so the Republican I think the way talking you point, get, but the, he the, 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 the way, the way, the, 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 the,
well, you know, President Trump has a, a tendency to, to overpromise. I generally try and underpromise and try and overdeliver. But so did he overpromise? That, that's a campaign pledge to, basi to basically support to basically support law enforcement and place safety and security as a priority. And that's what you need. If you want economic prosperity and opportunity, you need a safe and secure uh, community and, and states and, and America. That's why I said though, that's the goal we all share. Why don't we concentrate on the goal we all share and figure out how we can actually accomplish it? You know, re Republicans in the Senate, we actually tried to address the, the problems with policing. And, and we did it with using Tim Scott, who looked at the House bill and found the areas of agreement, put it on the floor of the Senate, and the Democrats said, no. It's either our way or the highway. We, we, we won't take just you know, what we can all agree on. We so, need to have everything as well that we don't agree on. So again, we're, we're trying to do this. We're trying to provide the safety and security that America wants. So the like, president's trying to do that as well. Well, it sounds like, it sounds Riots like you not, are, but I'm not, not sure the those tweets uh, are, are, are achieving the goal that you're stating this morning. I want to turn to the question of Russia and more specifically election interference in the election we are currently in. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence informed congressional oversight committees that it will no longer be briefing in person on election security issues. Do you think that the DNI should continue or his, his uh, aides should continue to give those briefings? Well, they will in a written form, and they're not doing it in person because of the leaks, apparently. Listen, Dan, I, I've been on top of Russian interference in elections uh, well before 2016. As chairman of the European Subcommittee of Foreign Relations, we held three hearings on the way Russia tries to destabilize right. the election systems of countries around right. the world. I, I know and that. And that is and what they have that, done successfully be, because, because they were aided and abetted by people like Adam Schiff, Democrats, okay. and the mainstream media. They have very difficult time influencing said. elections. Let's, let's, let's focus on the, the issue at hand, which is the DNI briefing. You just said because of leaks. My question for you is, first of all, members of the committee, people who sit on the intelligence committees dispute that they leak. But secondly, why logically would having an all written briefing, why would having an all written briefing do anything to stop leaks? Wouldn't it make it easier if you have something well, on a piece of paper? First of all, paper? Dan, this, this, listen, I, 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 I sit during, you know, through secured briefings. This is being blown so way out of proportion. I, I can probably count on one or two fingers the things that are actually classified in those briefings. There, there's no surprise here. We, we know that, diff, that foreign actors are trying to influence, trying to destabilize our political system. But again, we're doing Putin's work for him. What Adam Schiff did with this false narrative, what the news media did in terms of false Russian collusion with the Trump campaign narrative, you know, a criminal investigation, a special counsel, that is what has destabilized our politics. It's, it's, it's how the media and how Democrats but, you know, have, have okay. taken that but, but and, and, and basically done media. Vladimir Putin's work for This is about the Constitution and the, and the oversight responsibility that people like you in Congress have. Shouldn't you have the opportunity to question people who are we, uh, working on we, securing we, we, the elections which are happening now? We, we do and we will, and we all, we all know what Putin is doing. We, you know, China wants to buy, Biden to be the next president. We understand that. But there, you know, it's very difficult to change votes. It's very difficult to actually affect the poll numbers. What you can do is de destabilize our politics. And, you, and that and is you, exactly what Russia is succeeding in doing be because of what Adam Schiff, Democrats, and the do news media believe, have done as a result. Do you believe and do you... Um, agree with the notion that Russia, as we speak, is trying to destabilize this election? Yeah, they always have, they always will. Yeah, yes, yes. I, you know, again, I, so I held hearings on this a couple years before the 2016. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all by it. Yes, we, have to, be, we have to take it very seriously, but we can't play into Putin's hands. We can't blow it out of proportion to destabilize our own political system, which is what's happened over the last three years. I wanna, We've done it to ourselves. Okay, I want to ask you about something that you're involved in right now, uh, and that is you are in investigating whether or not Ukraine was involved in 2016. I want to read to you uh, something from the Senate Intelligence Committee's report suggesting that speculation about Ukraine interference is Russian misinformation. Here's what this says. The committee observed numerous Russian government actors from late 2016 until at least 
January 2020 consistently spreading overlapping false narratives which sought to discredit investigations into Russian interference. The committee identified no reliable evidence that the Ukrainian government interfered in the 2016 U.S. election. This is the Republican-led committee in the Senate saying this, and you're still investigating these claims. So my question is, why are you spending Dad. your time doing this when it, the theory that Ukraine was involved has been debunked? First of all, that, first of all, you know that's your certification that's been debunked. My, it's my not investigation mine. is it's in the corruption of the, the Obama. It, they work for two years it, 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 on this on this investigation, I, and these are your Senate okay, Republican let, colleagues. Are, are you going to let me answer? Yes, I so just want to say this is not my opinion. Obama. This is something that came out of the Senate. So, so okay, so so. so my investigation of the corruption of the Obama campaign or administration goes back to March of 2015. Our investigation is quite wide-ranging. Our investigation is primarily using U.S. government documents and sources from the State Department, Department of Justice, the National Archives, and a Democrat lobbying firm. You know, the only Russian disinformation that I'm aware of that so, has been involved in our politics is, first of all, in the Steele dossier, and now Democrats inserting into our records based on a so false narrative, a false intelligence product that they created and leaked to the media and didn't even tell Chuck Grass and I about it. So okay. it's the Democrats that are, again, they are being Putin's puppet, not me. Not Chuck Grassley. Okay, we're actually going to have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this morning, uh, Senate Homeland Security Chairman Ron Johnson. Have appreciate a good it. Thank you. And I want to turn now to the House Intelligence Committee Chairman, Congressman Adam Schiff of California. We have a lot to get to, but first, your reaction to what you just heard from your colleague in the Senate. Well, Dan, I'm not sure where to start, uh, but as you point out, uh, what the administration is saying makes no sense uh, in terms of their refusal to brief Congress on Russian interference designed to help the Trump campaign. They're going to put it in writing now instead of give us an oral briefing. Uh, that doesn't make any sense unless the goal is not to, you know, not to allow members of Congress, the representatives of the American people, to ask questions, to point out the false equivalence uh, that the administration is trying to promulgate that somehow... Russian interference uh, in our election, Russian active measures to try to decide our election to help Donald Trump is no different than other countries are doing. Uh, they don't want those questions answered. They don't want that information going to the public. This is what the president is after. After all, uh, Donald Trump fired uh, Director McGuire for briefing Congress on the fact that Russia was trying to help his campaign again. So uh, this president doesn't want to push back on that. He doesn't want the American people to know about it. Uh, he doesn't want to hear about Russian bounties on the heads of our troops. He doesn't want to hear about Russian convoys uh, uh, so, colliding with American forces in Syria. And he sure so as heck doesn't want the American people to know it either. So, Mr. Chairman, as you know, the DNI, uh, Radcliffe says his office is going to provide your committee with written reports. Why is that not enough? Because you can make a written report uh, and you can say things in a written report that are not correct. And you can't be subject to questioning about it. Uh, this is the problem we've had. The, the, for example, Dana, we saw about a month ago the head of the intelligence community, uh, his director of uh, national uh, counterintelligence, Bill Evanina, issue a public statement that drew a false equivalence between what Russia was doing and what China and Iran are doing. And he was called out on it. Uh, and we had hearings in the Congress where he could be uh, held to account and others could as well. And the result, Dana, was they were forced to issue a second statement that acknowledged, no, Russia is actually intervening to help Donald Trump uh, and denigrate Joe Biden. China has a preference. Uh, and being able to call them out, hold them accountable, have them uh, testify before Congress, place them under oath if necessary, uh, forces accountability. When you can hide behind documents or withhold documents and not have to answer questions about it, it lets you conceal the so, truth. And in this case, concealing the truth is concealing Russians are again intervening to help the president in his reelection. The president evidently believes that he can't beat Joe Biden without getting either foreign help or disenfranchising people from voting during a pandemic and doesn't so, want the country to know about it. So are you suggesting that the Trump administration is trying to protect Russia here? Uh, well, the, no, the, the Trump, uh, President Trump's motivation is, as always, solely about himself. It's to get himself reelected. 
Uh, and he realizes if the country learns again that the Russians once again are intervening to try to help him in the election, he feels that that takes away from their assistance. So he doesn't want the American people to know about it, doesn't want Congress to know about it. He wants to draw some false equivalence between what the Russians are doing and others are doing. And he knows that if and when they do come and brief Congress, we ask questions and we can get to the bottom of things. And that's what he doesn't want. After all, he fired a director for doing exactly this. Uh, and sadly, the current director of national intelligence doesn't have the, the will or the backbone to stand up to this I wanna, uh, and undertake his lawful responsibility. I, I want to play for you something that President Trump said about the reason that the DNI no longer wants to continue briefing uh, you, your committee, and others. Uh, he says because of leaking classified information. Take a listen. One question. Have, uh, brought information into the committee and the information leaked. Whether it was Shifty Schiff or somebody else, uh, they leaked the information before it gets in. And what's even worse, they leaked the wrong information. And he got tired of it. So he wants to do it in a different form. Have you or any of your staff or other Democrats on the committee leaked classified information? Uh, I haven't. My staff hasn't. Uh, I can't speak for what all the members of the committee uh, have done or not done, including a lot of the Republican members. Uh, look, data leaks are always improper and sometimes they're illegal. But of course, this is a, a falsehood. Yet again, another lie by the president. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know, as you point out, it's a, a logical inconsistency to say, well, we're going to put it on paper so it can't leak rather than uh, speak to the Congress. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. But what's more, Dana, you can tell that this is another falsehood, uh, a false rationalization by the president, because after the last set of briefings before Congress, the director of national intelligence offered to brief Congress again. Uh, so clearly they weren't concerned about leaks after the last briefing or they wouldn't have come back to offer another briefing. Something changed, Dana, and what changed is, of course, the president probably in another fit saying, I don't want Congress informed. Uh, because the last time that Congress was informed, the Director of National Intelligence had to put out another statement to acknowledge the fact that Russians are helping Donald Trump again. So, Mr. Chairman, uh, will and you that's his goal is to suppress that information. Will you subpoena intelligence officials to appear in public in a hearing before the election? Uh, that is certainly one of the tools that we may use. I, I can't speak for what decision uh, ultimately we'll make. Uh, that's a decision that will have to go to the speaker. But we will compel the intelligence community to give Congress the information that we need. We'll compel the intelligence community also to speak plainly to the American people. Because, Dana, this information, this intelligence paid for by taxpayers doesn't belong to Donald Trump. It doesn't belong to the intelligence agencies. It belongs to the American people. The agencies are merely the custodians of that information. Uh, and the American people ought to know what Russia is doing. They ought to know their president is unwilling to stand up to Vladimir Putin. They ought to know that senators so like Ron Johnson are pushing a Kremlin uh, false narrative about Joe Biden and doing it knowingly. Mr. Chairman, uh, and that information belongs to the American people. It doesn't belong to Donald Trump. OK, before we go, I, I really want to ask you about what's going on in Portland, Oregon. Um, police say that they're investigating a homicide after a person was killed last night during violent clashes there. Uh, it comes, of course, just days after two people were killed in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Do you have any reason to believe that Russia is trying to fuel some of the civil unrest in these cities via social media or other methods? Uh, well, first of all, Dan, I condemn uh, any of the violence that's going on, and I find it astounding that my colleague in the Senate can't simply condemn this. Um, the peaceful protests, uh, I think, are calling out uh, in a very important way um, the, the murder of so many uh, black men and women at the, at the hands of police, and those protests are in the best tradition of the United States. Uh, but we need to make sure that they're peaceful, as they largely have been, and that there aren't these incidents of violence. Uh, in terms of what we can expect from the Russians or what the Russians are doing, the Russians four years ago, Dana, exploited Black Lives Matter. They set up their own false flags online uh, to try to divide people along racial lines. Are they doing uh, and it we now? Have to, uh, uh, they are, once again, uh, doing their best uh, in social media, in their overt media, 
and other means to grow these divisions again. And I think that uh, most pernicious, we, gotta, we have to worry about uh, their aggravating these tensions in our cities. We also have to worry about the Russians pushing out the president's false narratives about voting by mail. Um, but finally, on the protest, Anna, I, I want to underscore something that you were asking Senator Johnson about, and that is the president is willfully fanning the flames of this violence. Uh, as his own advisor, Kellyanne Conway, said last week, they believe the violence is helpful to them. Uh, and the president is only motivated by one thing, what's in it for him. And he sees this violence uh, and the, the, his ability to agitate more of it as useful to his campaign. What it does to the country, the loss of life, he doesn't care. 180,000 people have died from the pandemic uh, because of his incompetence and this malignant narcissism. Uh, and he simply not only won't uh, act to stop the violence in the streets, but he will try to send federal uh, National Guard forces or others to aggravate it uh, if he can. He will stoke it through his social media where he can because he believes the violence helps him. That is the sad and tragic truth about this, but also about the Trump presidency more generally. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dana. And the president says he's standing up for law and order. Is that message working with voters? I'll talk to Congresswoman Karen Bass about that and whether Congress missed its chance to pass police reform next. Plus, when will you be able to get the coronavirus vaccine and get back to normal? I'll speak with a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force ahead. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. The presidential election is fast approaching and new polling suggests the dynamics of the race may be shifting. As ongoing protests turn violent in several cities across the U.S., is it hurting the push for civil justice? Joining me now is the chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus and Democratic Congresswoman from California, Karen Bass. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um, I want to ask about what we are seeing, uh, what we saw last night in Portland. Somebody died there. Uh, two people died during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. What is your reaction to this violence? Uh, well, I think it's absolutely horrible. You know, I was just appalled at what I saw uh, in Kenosha. The idea that you would see that young man with a rifle walking toward the police and they do nothing. They don't move to stop him. They actually give him water, don't even arrest him on the spot, and he killed two people. And then unfortunately, to listen to the head of law enforcement the next day, he seemed to blame it on the fact that people were violating curfew. The protests, the peaceful protests, of which over 90% of the protests have been peaceful, are very helpful, and obviously, anytime they turn toward violence, that's very damaging. Uh, President Trump made his first comments about Jacob Blake Friday night, five days after the shooting. I want you to listen to what he said. Well, I'm looking into it very strongly. I'll be getting reports and I'll certainly let you know pretty soon. But I'll be, uh, it was, uh, was not a good sight. I didn't like the sight of it, certainly. And I think most people would agree with that. He's also traveling to Kenosha on Tuesday to, quote, meet with local law enforcement and survey damage from the recent riots. So what effect do you think his visit will have? Good idea or bad? Oh, I, I think his visit has one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to agitate, agitate things and to make things worse. You know, what also happened in Portland, too, you saw a parade of Trump supporters actually actively shooting paintballs at peaceful protesters. And the president, in my opinion, encourages that. He actually retweeted the people firing paint guns. So I think he only means to agitate things. He is campaigning. It's clear his campaign is all about law and order. It's a throwback to the past. And he's so, going to do everything to disrupt law and order yeah. in this time period. And, and just to be clear, we don't know where the violence is, is coming from because there, there's protesters uh, on both sides of this of this issue. We don't right. know yet what happened in, in Portland. Um, but back to Kenosha, should the former vice president, Joe Biden, also visit Kenosha? 
Well, I mean, I think the vice president, uh, as I understand it, is going to be speaking out very soon. Whether he goes to Kenosha or not, I don't know. I know he's going to follow medical advice first. But one thing that I don't think should happen is, is that I don't think using Kenosha in a way uh, to campaign, which is what I believe the president is doing, and uh, the tweet that he put out uh, in Portland, you do see people firing on the protesters. They're firing paintballs. So I think that his motivation is directed only in one area, and it's not to bring resolve to the situation. It's not to look at police abuse. It's not but, to do any of you, that. It's are, to campaign and to agitate. But are you concerned, um, forgive me for putting it this way, but are you concerned that politically speaking, Joe Biden isn't fighting fire with fire? That that Donald Trump is doing what you just described um, because he clearly believes it benefits him politically and that, do you believe Joe Biden, do you feel that he's pushing back hard enough? Well, I think that he has been clear. I think his statements around what happened to uh, Mr. Blake were clear. What the president said was basically nothing. Um, and so I do think that he has been responding, absolutely. So President Trump has tried to tie the Democrats and Black Lives Matter uh, protesters to some of the violence and the looting that we've seen in places like Kenosha and Portland. A Marquette University poll earlier this month, and it, this was of Wisconsin voters who may hold the key mm -hmm. to November's election, it shows that approval of protests has dipped 13 points since June. So are you concerned that these scenes of unrest are hurting the movement? I Well, I'm absolutely concerned, and I'm concerned, like you said a few minutes ago, that it's not real clear where this violence is coming from. And so I think that the peaceful protests are helpful when they turn to violence. Obviously, it's not. We're 66 days from an election, and I think it is a tragedy that we have a president that is doing everything he can to fan the flames. But he did this in 2018 as well. In 2018, the message it was, we're getting invaded on the southern border by hordes of immigrants. And this time, he's using, he's using legitimate issues around police abuse and using it as a way to resurrect a very old campaign slogan of law and order. So the House of Representatives, as you well know, passed a police reform bill more than two months ago. Yes. Uh, and in a letter this week to Senate Majority Mitch McConnell, you wrote the following. You wrote, how many more mothers and fathers must mourn the loss of a child to police violence? How many more children must be raised without a parent to parent lost to police violence? How many more videos must we watch before you act? Enough is enough. Now, Senate Republicans, led by Tim Scott of South Carolina, proposed their own bill. Democrats in the Senate blocked it. So was it a mistake? Rather than trying to reach a compromise, uh, then to block it, should they at least have tried to get something passed? Well, first of all, no, I don't think that it was a mistake. When we acted, we acted with absolute urgency, and we acted with a transformative bill that addresses immunity, that lowers the standard for prosecution so we can actually hold officers accountable. So if Mitch McConnell wants to act, he could certainly put up the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that is over in his house. But I will tell you, Dana, that over the last couple of months, there have been a number of discussions with Republican members in the House mm -hmm. uh, who have presented Tim Scott with what I believe would be a stronger bill. So he has an opportunity to put up another bill that we could perhaps go to conference with. So I think, as you pointed out, the House voted on the bill on a bipartisan basis. We even garnered a few Republican votes, which is a big deal because Trump uh, tweeted a couple of days before threatening Republicans not to support the bill. So we did have bipartisan support. So Mitch McConnell could put up the George Floyd Justice and Police Act. Let's see what happens. Put it up for a vote. He didn't bother to do that. Before I let you go, I want to ask about the uh, RNC, the convention this past week. Uh -huh. A number of African-American speakers uh, made a point of highlighting uh, question, questionable comments by the Democratic nominee uh, by Joe Biden. And um, my question for you is, are you concerned uh, that that kind of, uh, of representation that they showed at the RNC will hurt with the Democrats, with the African-American vote? 
You know, I honestly don't, because what the Republicans did was essentially put up a number of individuals. Who do those individuals represent? I believe they represent themselves. I don't believe that the African-American population is going to be fooled by the last three and a half years of a president who clearly stokes racial violence, who stokes racism. I don't believe anybody is going to be uh, confused by that and his policies. He talks about uh, protecting African-Americans. It's so offensive for him to say that he has done more for African-Americans than any president since Abraham Lincoln. So Barack Obama didn't exist, and I suppose neither did Lyndon Johnson and many other uh, presidents. And so I think that the majority of black folks are very clear that the last three years of this presidency have been devastating. Let me make note of the fact that there's over 180,000 Americans dead from coronavirus, and we know a significant percentage of those are folks of color, which I believe is one of the reasons why they don't want the data release, the demographic data release on the people that have died. So he hasn't done anything for African Americans as far as I'm concerned. Congresswoman Karen Bass, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. And historic winds, fires, floods, locusts. But you wouldn't know there is a climate crisis right now by watching the Republican convention last week. Is the Trump administration ready to face, face hurricane season and COVID-19? The head of FEMA joins me next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. President Trump touring the Lake Charles, Louisiana area after it was slammed by Hurricane Laura this week. The storm claimed at least 15 lives, according to officials there, and are still there's still half a million customers without power in the area. Despite packing the strongest winds to hit Louisiana in well over a century, this could actually be just the start of a terrible hurricane season, coming as thousands of Americans are still contracting COVID-19 every day. Joining me now is the administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Peter Gaynor. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, President Trump was with you in Louisiana yesterday to survey the hurricane damage. Uh, how's the recovery going there? Uh, it's, uh, they got hit pretty bad, uh, especially in Louisiana, those five counties, uh, all the way from Cameron, uh, all the way up. Uh, you know, lots of uh, power issues, wires down. Uh, that's impacted uh, the, the uh, delivery of water. Uh, so I think those are the two prime things that, uh, especially in Louisiana, they're fighting with is getting that power restored and getting that water turned down so they can return people to their homes. Uh, you pointed out in a congressional hearing last month that hurricanes are becoming <clears throat> more and more frequent, more costly, more damaging because the climate is changing. Do you believe that human activity is responsible for the climate crisis? Well, you know, FEMA's role is to, to deliver these uh, valuable disaster resources uh, for any hazard. So we're an all-hazards agency. And, uh, you know, why it happened, uh, I, I'm going to leave that up to the scientists. Uh, my job, my role uh, is to make sure that uh, those disaster survivors have everything they need uh, to get their lives back to normal. And that's really our focus. And that's why we came down uh, to uh, Louisiana and Texas. That's why the president came down uh, to see it firsthand uh, and, and uh, give them some hope that uh, federal resources uh, and, the, and that great partnership is, uh, is intact. So just you mentioned the scientists. Scientists do overwhelmingly agree that, uh, that there is human involvement in the climate crisis. The Trump administration um, produced its own report. 13 federal agencies uh, was crystal clear that the observational evidence does not support any credible natural explanations for this amount of warming. Instead, the evidence consistently points to human activities, especially emissions of greenhouse or heat trapping gases as the dominant cause. You subscribe to that? You believe that's accurate? Yeah, so again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave all that to the scientists. I'm not a scientist. Uh, my role as the nation's emergency manager is uh, to deliver those uh, valuable resources uh, to those impacted by disasters, no matter the cause, no matter the place. Right. Uh, and that's my mission. Right, I, and I get that. I get that you're responsible for cleaning it up, quite literally. Um, but as somebody who's in charge of that, do you, do you not want to look at the cause as, as part of your job? And, and at least maybe subscribe to, as I said, what the, your own administration has said, at least the scientists that you're referring to. 
Well, I mean, you know, we have, uh, you know, across every state in the United States, we have uh, mitigation plans. And in those mitigation plans, uh, states have to, and, and this is, these are our rules to states, they have to embrace things like uh, changing conditions, demographic shifts, uh, weather patterns, all those things to make sure that uh, they, their plans reflect that. So uh, it's part of what we do. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but today in Louisiana, uh, my job is to make sure I deliver uh, those valuable federal resources to those impacted by well, disasters. Let me, let me ask you this way. Do you believe that the climate crisis is a threat to the U.S.? Uh, I, I, and again, you can go back and look at the record. Uh, you know, the, the, the climate has changed. Uh, and if you just look at hurricanes, uh, they're more frequent, uh, they're more deadly, they're more devastating. And again, my role uh, as, the, as the leader of, uh, of FEMA, uh, as the emergency manager for the nation, is to make sure that the nation is prepared uh, to uh, mitigate those, those risks. Congress passed uh, last year a, a great program uh, building resilient infrastructure in communities where uh, we, we want to invest in pre-disaster mitigation, invest in uh, disasters before they happen. So uh, that really is the best way uh, to, to battle uh, all kinds of weather challenges. Okay, so just for our viewers, the overwhelming scientific consensus is that human, human activity is responsible for the climate crisis. I know you don't want to go there. Uh, let's move on. I want to ask you about the coronavirus pandemic. The president held a large gathering <laughs> on the White House lawn on Thursday night with roughly 1,500 people, few were wearing masks or social distancing. We saw a similar scene at the president's event on Friday in New Hampshire. You were on the coronavirus task force. Were you comfortable with what you saw at both of those events? Uh, I, I can't say that, that uh, well, first of all, I, I wasn't there, so I didn't see it firsthand. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and being part of the coronavirus task force, uh, our, our uh, our message to uh, everyone across America is if you did uh, four simple things, right? Wear a mask uh, where, where, you, where you can and, if, uh, and, and socially distance, wash your hands and try to stay at a, stay at a large uh, crowd, especially inside. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do those four things, I think we'll, we'll, we'll beat down uh, the coronavirus uh, even faster. So uh, if you can socially distance, then maybe you don't have to wear a mask. But if you can't, then, then wear it. I mean, so it's really simple tools uh, that we all can use to keep ourselves safe. Absolutely. And these were two events held by the president of the United States who didn't not just encourage, but require the people in, in attendance to see him to do what you just said. Does that bother you? Yeah. Again, I don't know what the rules were for the, for the, uh, the convention. Well, we saw the pictures. Again, they I'll, weren't wearing masks. I'll defer the and they were very yeah, close Yeah, but together. I don't know. I think you said that. The, okay. But you said there were rules that there is some instruction not to wear masks. No, I, no, no, I no, no. I that's not what that's I said. A, he didn't. I said he didn't require them to wear masks. There was no instruction not to wear masks. Okay. Again, I can't comment on it because I don't know. I don't know if it's true or false. Okay. I want to um, ask you about something that you that you have on your website. Uh, the FEMA website, it's called Coronavirus Rumor Control. And the first recommendation to yep. the American people is find trusted sources of information. In the last six months, the president has touted hydroxychloroquine. He suggested injecting disinfectants. He's repeatedly refused to wear a mask. Um, he's had these events that I just referred to. He said initially that the virus will disappear. Do you think that the president falls under the category in your website of tr a trusted source of information on the coronavirus? Uh, again, you know, I'm here today uh, to make sure that uh, we discuss the impacts to Louisiana, uh, to Texas, uh, on those disaster survivors that in some cases have lost everything. Uh, and they're depending on uh, our partnership, uh, locals, states, and the federal government to get them back in their homes and get them uh, uh, you know, back to a normal life. That, that really is my focus of today, and that's why I'm here today. Okay, and you feel equipped to do that? I feel uh, absolutely equipped. Uh, the president acted quickly uh, in giving uh, those, uh, both states emergency and major disasters. Uh, they have all the resources they need. We toured uh, all around uh, the past two days, uh, tens of thousands of responders, utility crews, uh, uh, Red Cross, Salvation Army, Team Rubicon, all down there trying to, uh, again, deliver those uh, 
critical resources mm -hmm. to those impacted by Laura. Well, Administrator Gannon, we thank you for your work down in Louisiana and for the agency's work there in Texas and everywhere else uh, there is a, a natural disaster. And we appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you. Thank you. And bigger than the game, pro athletes across all major sports walking off for racial justice. I'll speak to one of the leaders of the movement, WNBA star, coming up next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. You have to imagine the likes of Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson were looking on with pride at the amazing past few days in sports when players decided to delay their games to protest police brutality. And the inspiring women of the WNBA, they've been at the front of this social justice fight long before the tragic events in Kenosha. Joining me now is Neka Agumake, who is a Los Angeles Sparks forward and the president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association, who is coming off of eight wins in a row. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it from Florida. Uh, this really was an unprecedented week in sports. We've seen athletes protest police violence before, particularly you and the WNBA, but nothing on this scale. What makes this feel different to you? Well, you know, as you mentioned before, um, first of all, thank you for having me. As you mentioned before, you know, this is not new to us. Um, and it's quite unique. The state of the world has allowed our movement to meet its moment. Um, we've always been on the forefront of speaking out against racism, police reform, voting and education. And um, as a union, we are always unified and we stand in solidarity with our peers. Um, but quite frankly, this is a very historical and unique situation for us to truly mobilize and organize in ways that is just in our DNA as WNBA players. Well, four years ago, the WNBA punished players for protesting police violence on the court. Now it seems like team owners and league officials are really following you, the players lead here and showing support. What changed? You know, I think that it's just kind of an evolution of the league, mm -hmm. um, its players and obviously operations. You know, I think that us negotiating our recent collective bargaining agreements certainly um, spearheaded a lot of innovation in what we haven't seen in the league, but also the relationship and the rapport that the players have with the league moving forward. We're still quite young. Next year we'll be 25. Mm -hmm. um, but we have such a long way to go, although we're seeing so much success and notoriety in what we're doing, we want to continue to progress. And I think that we see that very much so in how we're able to amplify our voices in accordance with our league. I want to get your reaction to something President Trump said Friday night about the action taken by your league and by the NBA. He said, quote, I think what they're doing to the NBA in particular is going to destroy basketball. When you watch sports, you want to sort of relax. This is a whole different world. You don't want to stay in politics. You want to relax. It's very bad for the NBA. What's your response to President Trump? Well, you know, as basketball players, um, playing basketball is an outlet and we too would like to relax, but we're also citizens. Um, and the platforms that we have, just as the politicians do, need to be used to affect change in our communities. And as athletes, we would be discrediting our essence if we didn't use that platform for good and for change. Um, quite frankly, too, a lot of what we speak about, it shouldn't be political, but unfortunately, um, the way that our country has kind of evolved, certain issues, certain human issues have become political. Um, we are black women in the WNBA, a majority of us are black women, and inherently we are political as we deal with racism and sexism. Um, but I think because of where we stand in politics, we try our best to speak out for everyone. Um, and I think that we saw a lot of headway in our CBA and being able to negotiate change that can affect women, not just women in sports, um, that can really bring a lot of attention mm -hmm. to how much further we need to go for change. And I want to ask you about that in a second. But first, I want to ask about um, how much you and other WNBA players have really tried to amplify in particular, the case of Breonna Taylor in Kentucky. You recently participated in a virtual meeting with her mother, uh, setting aside your jersey and your leadership role here. What does it mean to you personally as a black woman in America to be so involved 
in her cause? Um, to be honest, I'm very grateful and honored to be in the position that I am to even have um, the time and have for the conversations to be held space for women in the WNBA to have have those talks with people that are being directly affected by it and for us to be able to serve our purpose and amplify the voices of parents like Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because we're out here and we're speaking out against against any injustices for everyone. But Breonna Taylor is a prime example of, you know, how black women are kind of considered in society. And we're hoping that we can do our work, not just to bring some sort of comfort to her mom and to amplify and celebrate Breonna, but also to affect the change that we want to see. You know, her, you know, the, the killers have not been arrested yet. Mm -hmm. And that's a for, for, you know, the comparison between women and men in this country and also black people in this country. So on that note, I want to ask about fighting for equality. And you've been doing that not on just on social justice, but on uh, other issues, for example, pay. Uh, you really fought hard uh, to get a deal to change the fact that WNBA players are paid a fraction of what other professional athletes make. You recently um, got it's so that players in the WNBA could receive full maternity benefits and things of that nature. So how has that experience, fighting to be heard and treated the same as your male counterparts, influenced your broader fight now on social justice? You know, it was kind of a precursor to what we're experiencing now. Um, for the longest, you know, I think that it took some time for us to mature as, as a league, as players in this league, to understand what we get to do to create that change. And through the CBA, with uh, an amazing union staff and our executive director and Terry Jackson, and of course, having Kathy Engelbert now as the commissioner, we were able to come together and create a historical CBA that can serve as a catalyst for that change we want to see. It's by no means, uh, it's by no means the end of what we want to see. It's the future, you know, in motion. And I'm really happy that we were able to create some type of change that women who aren't just athletes want to see also in yeah. their own lives. Well, I appreciate you, uh, and I'm a WNBA fan. I'm becoming much more of one now, frankly, learning about you and everything that you've done uh, for women in particular. Uh, Neka Agumike, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. And thank you for thank spending you. your Sunday morning with us. The news continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.